As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. But there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Andrew Anastasi, current level designer at Disasterfish. So join us as we explore his journey. So today I'm joined by Andrew Anastasi, a former student of mine. How are you, man? Yeah, not too bad. How about you? Yeah, pretty well. We're doing this thing on like a 42 degree day, so couldn't be a better condition to do it. But we are here at the arcade, actually, where you've done a bunch of your work over the last, what, 12 months? Uh, yeah, 12 months, roughly since like March. Um, so. so nice, comfortable surrounds and the air conditioning is not bad. Yeah, so definitely better than outside. Yeah, and what we used to have to deal with back in the day. We won't dive too much into that. <laughs> um, so we'll start kind of at the beginning here, before you, way before you even got into games development. What was your first gaming experience? What were you playing? What were the sort of things that got you into, into video games? Um, so my dad was like an avid gamer back in the day. Um, the first game I really remember playing a lot was Warcraft 3 um, and like the original Starcraft as well. Uh, I can't remember how many hours I spent playing those games. Um, then I moved sort of into first person shooters with like Red Faction and the OG Half-Life and yeah, um, I discovered my love for first person shooters. Was there a game that you recall at any point? And, I mean, we actually used to have a few conversations because uh, I was your I was your math teacher back in the yeah. day. But at the same time, we got we went yeah. on far too many tangents about video games that didn't probably, do much math. Probably cost you a few marks. So my bad. <laughs> um, but was there a game that you identified at any point that made you think, "Hey, I might want to get into get, actually making the games"? Like, was there one that you looked at and had this like you mm. know coin drop sort of moment? Going, oh crap! This maybe I'm keen to try and get into making as myself. Uh, I don't think it was any particular game. I think it was more just an organic journey of, hey, I'm good with computers, I like games, what can I make out of this? Um, and yeah, I looked into games development, I thought that would be my thing, and yeah, just decided to go for it, I guess. So there was no point that you can kind of recognise with maybe like there was an itch that started to get scratched, you thought, I could really give this a crack? Um, I guess. Were you thinking that through, like we used to talk about games a lot. Yeah. Um, and used to sling a bunch of crap because you're a big PC guy and I'm a big yeah. console guy and we used to just hang shit on each other for that. But at the same time, um, was, yeah, was there was there some some point there, was it through school or something you kind of realised after you wrapped up, do you like, oh, I want to get into this? Um, I guess, I think in year 11 or year 12, um, I started doing software development as a class um, and so I got my first sort of taste of coding and making stuff then. Um, I think... One of my tasks was to make a mini golf game for Android. And even though I was following a tutorial, it still felt really good to say, hey, I made this. Yeah. Um, so that was really good. Um, and I just ended up building off that and sort of making a, f- a couple of little things and went into it from there. And so these days you're based at Swinburne. Yeah. And, uh, and you've kind of, well, you featured at PAX recently, uh, mm-hmm. but you kind of buddied up with the team or how did, how did the whole disaster fish thing begin yeah so um at swinburne we have a bachelor of arts and games interactivity um, and there's also a double degree with computer science if you want to do programming and stuff um, so that's a three-year course and the final year is you buddy up with the team spend the entire year actually making a game for packs um, and then they like help you out with marketing and research and stuff like that um, and yeah so you spend the whole year and eventually show it off at PAX. Um, I was lucky enough to have a couple of connections from my first couple of years. 
um, and we built kind of like an all-star um, super team, I guess. Um, basically, everyone had worked with each other previously, uh, and you know how in some group activities you're like, oh, there's that one person who's dead weight who doesn't do anything. You're the dead weight. <laughs> no, we uh, <laughs> we actively tried to avoid that by getting the best of the yeah. best, and I think our project really showed <laughs> showed that. Um, so that project is currently called. Uh, it's currently called called Voyager Project. And did feature um, packs, but maybe you could tell us a little bit about what the game is. And... Yeah, so. At the start, um, we did a couple of brainstorming sessions before uni started because uh, we wanted to get ahead of the curve and make sure that we actually get a decent product. And we decided most teams usually make sort of like a party game that's good for packs or good for commercial release. And we decided we didn't want that. We want to make a good experience. Yeah. Um, and we talked a lot about the idea of um, asymmetrical co-op. So two people working together with like information disparity or gameplay disparity, something like that. Uh, we went through a couple of ideas. We talked about um, like an emergency operator, someone on the phone and someone actually like driving an ambulance or something like that. Um, that organically went into like um, sort of the tropes of the, the scene in the Matrix uh, in the oh, office. Yeah, okay. um, yeah. We discussed that as one of our main inspirations. Uh, and we ended up settling on a sci-fi theme. Um, so one player is exploring a space station on Pluto and the other person is in a space capsule um, orbiting the planet and they have to help out by like re remotely hacking into computer terminals and reading about the world and stuff like that. So we'll bounce back a little bit further to the game again shortly, but so yep. Swinburne and the course itself, like I've interviewed a few people now over the years where, and we were talking about this just before we started, where their, their story was, and they've been in the industry 20, 30 years and their story is, I got into it because I was making mods for, for Doom or whatever happened to me and all of a sudden yeah. I got pulled in, I'm part of it or I'm part of this or I'm doing this or whatever. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> the story these days for most people getting into games dev is very different because, I mean, you've got a few that kind of maybe work out of their basement, quote unquote, or yeah. whatever, um, but you've got lots of people like yourself who are kind of going through a course of some sort. So what, what's, what's that look like? What, what's the day-to-day, -day, what are your classes or those sorts of things kind of look like? What's yeah, so at Swinburne they <laughs> kind of teach you how to make a game in general um, so I remember the first semester going into it because um, I was doing the double degree I did an introduction to programming um, a introduction to like game psychology um, and they tend to have a psychology based class per semester game psychology um, what did that kind of entail so it's kind of like delving into the player psyche like um, the hero's journey and uh, what what actually is a game and what does it mean to play oh, okay. Um, what sort of motivations the players have to keep playing, that sort of thing. Um, and then they sort of tie it into games like how can you make the player want to navigate through your level type thing or something like that. Um, so that's a bit of the drier stuff, but it, it's a bit dry to me, but it is interesting to... Well, yeah, I mean, it's still important background, I guess, at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. So how do they kind of gradually release you to the point where you were... You know, I'm sure they were kind of holding your hand to an extent in those early days to where you are now, is that, is that just kind of the whole idea of this, this last year where you just part up with a team and you all just pull on what you've learned? Yeah, so they, um, they gradually guide you through. So um, along the way, they teach you a little bit about every single stream. So there's like one audio class, one um, modeling class, one programming class, um, and then actually making games. They, the first semester, they teach you to design like a board or a card game. So the second semester they get you to make it, 
Uh, and then in year two, they get you to slowly jump into Unity to start making video games. Um, but that's more like a um, base it off a current game and sort of add your own twist. Oh, okay. Then they so you're essentially to, modding. In some yeah, ways. yeah, basically. Um, and then in sort so it of still happens. There we go. Right. Yeah. Um, like I remember, we got given four classic games: uh, Pong, Space Invaders, Pac Man, and maybe Breakout. Yeah. And we had to put a mechanical twist to that and make it our own. Um, so I ended up making Space Invaders as a two-player platformer. Uh, one person was exploring, yeah, right. navigating the level, and the other person was like almost tower defense, placing space invaders in front of the way. Yeah, uh, it, it wasn't very good, but no, it was, I mean, it's, a, it's a concept sort of yeah. Thing messing around with. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, it gave me my first taste of actually making something myself, which was good. Um, and having to kind of design and plan out what that looks like as well. Yeah, exactly. Versus just you know pie in the sky sort of ideas yeah. that you actually need to apply somehow. Um, yeah, and then they get you to make something from scratch, just like a little demo, um, and then that goes into your final year where you have to actually work with the team to make a full experience for PAX. So they sort of guide your hand along the way and ease you into it. And so the Voyager project itself, so you've spoken a little bit about the game, but maybe dive into a little bit more detail. So you're bouncing around through space, and what, what's that all kind of entails? I played at a PAX, yeah. and I'll, I'll kind of pop my two cents in at different points, but maybe give people the, the, the general pitch as to what the idea is with the game. And how many people are working on it, by the way? Uh, so we had nine people plus an audio designer. Because um, the great thing with Swinburne is they have a link with, I think it's Melbourne Polytechnic. Yeah. Um, so we draft up a design for our music and our sound, we give it to them, and part of their project is to work toward that brief to give us music. Um, so yeah, we had seven designers two people from the programming stream and yeah that one um, music person um, so it was a bit difficult working with so many people but everyone pulled their weight so it was it was quite good so yeah the, the game itself what does that actually kind of entail what do you what, what's the goal yeah so um, the I guess the more gamey aspect is the player on the ground uh, that's your more typical like explorative game uh, and the very first thing we do is drop them in a, a pod um, with the inst only instructions are launch code. So if you're playing a, a normal game, obviously you would be confused because you're literally staring at a screen that says launch code and that's it. Um, so we make sure the, that they have to communicate with the person that we call the operator. Uh, they're the ones back on the spaceship. And the operator has got a screen just saying enter the launch code. And they obviously don't have a launch code. Yeah. So. Um, we wanted to make sure that it was clear that you have to communicate in this game, otherwise you otherwise can't. Otherwise you're just going to be yeah. standing there for the entire time. And yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, they, they communicate to each other, they enter the launch code, they have to press their buttons simultaneously um, to have like that moment of, hey, let's 3, three two, two, one, one. push. Um, and yeah, that we gave a bit too much leeway on it, but we wanted that feeling more than exact, you have to press it right now. Sort oh of yeah, yeah you've got to give a little bit of... A little bit of grace, especially like yeah. especially for something you ultimately demo to PAX. And like I played it there with some guy that I'd never spoken to before, and yeah, we exactly. both stumbled and bumbled our way through it and working it. I mean, sure, there was a little bit of screen cheating going on at different points, mostly <laughs> yeah. from me. But yeah. um, but at the same time, yeah, like when you're working with someone who you definitely don't know, you don't necessarily have that sort of relationship to kind of even assume what the next person might be thinking. But that's yeah. that could be also one of the unique charms about the game that you could be dropped in with someone completely new and have to find a way with them yeah exactly but it's two very different experiences like you were talking about you know, it's an asymmetric sort of game but the way each person is playing is very different 
Yeah. Um, so the person exploring is obviously just your typical explorative, um, I guess, walk them up type thing. Um, but they'll get stuck along the way and need the help of the operator. And we initially discussed having just like a DOS type screen yeah. uh, where it's all text. Uh, but we ended up thinking that that was a bit too much, I guess. Um, Big difference bit, in the playing experience for both people. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what we did was we abstracted it out and made it sort of like a 3D environment with multiple screens and we added some graphics and stuff to make it a bit more gamey. Um, but at the end of the day, they still are just interacting with screens through text. Yeah. Um, and we, we also towed the line between what's too technical and what's too gamey, if that makes yeah. sense. Like we didn't want to have it, you, you must have open door, semicolon, close bracket, otherwise yeah, it won't work. Lots of people get a bit overwhelmed by that sort of thing. Yeah, um, but at the end of the day, we also didn't want open door to just work straight away. We yeah. wanted to have a little bit of feedback and say, hey, you have to actually work well, out how to use this. Yeah, open the door for me, then boom, open door and open something else. You want door yeah. A5 open or something like that. Yeah, exactly. I think that was the naming convention for some of them, if I recall yeah. correctly, yeah. Because um, we did want the, the operator to still have some gameplay elements. Um, whereas in your typical game, you might run into a door and you have to run and find the key to go open the door. We wanted the operator to like need to open, say, a file and find the password on the computer systems or something like that. So it's still technically the same gameplay, just navigating a virtual space rather than an open world type thing. Um, what sort of, I guess, conversations went on about the possibility that, say, that um, the person behind all their, their screens and whatnot, they're trying to find a piece of information that they're maybe struggling to find, and what, what's that going to be like for the other player who's potentially just sitting there twiddling their thumbs whilst yeah, waiting so for their friend or whoever it happens to be to find the necessary code to open the door for them? Yeah, so we wanted to make sure that both worlds, I guess, even though the operator is technically just like a computer. Yeah. Um, we wanted to make those both interesting places that you wanted to explore. Um, and we also wanted to make sure there were ties to the two worlds to make sure it felt like a cohesive world. Yeah. Um, so for example, in the, um, what we call the runner, which is the person on the ground, uh, they can walk around and find space helmets yeah. um, of like old crew. And then the operator can go through their like comm logs and system logs and find those crew members and find out what happened to them sort of thing. Yeah, kept building um, the world out. Yeah, so we wanted to make sure that the players communicated and were like, oh, hey, you know that Volkov person? I saw their helmet before. Um, or I saw their living quarters. Tell me more about them. Yeah, um, okay. That's kind so of cool. Yeah. Um, are there any particular influences? I mean, this is a very unique sort of idea, I guess. And I can't say that I personally, and I'm, I'm not the biggest PC guy in the world, but I haven't seen too many ideas like it. Are there any particular influences at all over any specific aspects of the game? So maybe not the moment-to-moment -moment action, but the way the world's been designed. Are there any influences at all? Um, as far as gameplay was concerned, we had sort of that classic trope of someone helping you. Um, so like, as I mentioned before, the opening scene of Matrix, uh, we had like your typical first-person shooter where you've got the army general or something yeah. talking to you over the radio. And we wanted to be like, let's get a player in that role rather than an NPC. Um, as far as the world goes, I think we kind of just leaned into the sort of sci-fi trope and there wasn't a particular influence to it. Just empty space. And 
go for it. Yeah. The atmosphere that um, that kind of can provide. Yeah, we were initially going for horror-esque elements, like you're walking through a cave and you hear an alien running around, but we figured that the cooperative experience was more important than that horror aspect, and it I didn't really remember, work. And I'm, I'm diving through bloody business cards and packs now, where yours was in there somewhere. I feel like it was something about like survive the horrors of space together, or what, what I can't remember yeah. the actual pitch or idea was. Uh, alone was, together in the vast horror of space so yeah. clearly yeah, it was certainly an idea at some point the way it was pitched yeah we um we initially had the idea of like classic horror there's a monster chasing you you need to hide and we had things like you have to work together to time opening and closing doors to trap the monster behind you or something um, but we figured that was a bit too much and lean more into i guess atmospheric horror almost yeah um less horror and more like intrigue and dread almost yeah. like what happened here i want to find out and it's a little bit spooky that everyone's dead but i don't know why yeah um, mystery around that that, that yeah, makes a lot so of sense no no i'm a big fan of that sort of thing yeah. i mean we've seen games kind of linked not quite with the asymmetric thing in the form of like alien isolation where you got this thing you're trying yeah. to keep away from and there was things that didn't quite work about that so adding a second plate like that's a whole other layer of co- uh, confusion yeah required um, some hurdles I need to get over yeah and I think we've kind of leaned away from the horror aspects but we still want to have that sort of I guess tie to it that you might think it could be horrifying yeah um, but at the moment there's nothing scary in it at all so what are some of the future goals of the project like where, where do things go from here um, we're not too sure yet we've had a couple of discussions um, obviously being such a unique project that leads us to how do we sell it how do we make other people play it yeah um is it going to be easy enough to set up because currently it's a super hard mess of ethernet cables and it needs to be this way and you need team speak to talk because we actually never coded in voice chat um so yeah we still need to have a discussion about it we're not too sure of if we want to continue it or how we want to continue it um because, yeah, we would love to have this, say, out on Steam or PSN or whatever, but it is a bit of a clunky experience to get yeah. going. Um, you personally, so outside of some of the team stuff, have there been mm-hmm. ideas that you've kind of had in your head that you'd love to follow through on at some point? Uh, yeah, I've, I've had feel, a... Feel free to either discuss those or not, and I can completely understand if you don't want to. Um, I've had a couple of ideas going through. It's, it's just um, actually getting started on them. Um, cause I'm, I'm not the best at actually getting work done. Um, I've no comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You'll know as, as being my old maths teacher. Um, yeah, I've got, I've got a couple of ideas in the works. Um, but yeah, nothing I can really talk to yet. Cause no, that's e- what... even if I make something, I'm still like I mean, months and months away. Yeah, actually the doing development something. process is really fluid. Like these things can change. Yeah, like exactly. That, so. That totally um, makes sense. Yeah, and like I'm a terrible artist, so if I were to make something, it would be just like drawn in paint. Uh, my last prototype was literally drawing things in paint, building a level out of rectangles. That yeah. I, I didn't even use a rectangle tool. I just hand drew rectangles. Oh, that's that makes <laughs> more interesting. At least, at least with Thomas and alone, the rectangles were certainly rectangles. Yeah, um, mine are stylized rectangles. Yeah, it's a choice. Yeah, fair. Enough. They got a bit more personality. 
So the project has seen you do a little bit of work here in the arcade. So yep. what, what's that experience been like? Because it's, it's a unique sort of setup. You've got lots of, like, certainly everyone I've spoken to so far, they've got their own space, whether that's a basement or whether that's their yeah. big studio, whatever it is. But here you're working alongside lots of other independent developers, big and small. What's that like? Uh, yeah, so the arcade is, uh, if you haven't heard of it, it's a um, game development space in South Melbourne. Um, it's like a small office building. It's a couple of floors. Um, and a bunch of little indie studios have their own like little offices in there. Um, but through Swinburne, we get to work on what's called the hot desks, which are just a couple of desks out in the middle of the, the floor. Um, and yes, yeah, so we get to work next to, I guess, real developers, I guess. Um, Whatever that means. But yeah. yeah, well, people who have actually shipped titles yeah. and actually made money off it. Rather yeah, than just us. We were talking about some of those names as we were walking through today. Like you've got some decently profile people around you or or at least some high profile games that have been developed come around you. Like what yeah. sort of what sort of games have been developed out of here that maybe you've had some sort of ties or communications with? Yeah, um, so we get a couple of opportunities with the people at the arcade, because um, a lot of people are ex Swinburne students as well. Um, so we actually get taught by um, Joe Park and Laura Voss from Harmonious Productions. Um, Dan Draper from um, Samurai Punk and I think we got Ken Wong from Mountains to play it as well because his office is literally across from our, our desks and so that was great yeah if the, the name doesn't ring any bells Mountains are responsible for Florence one of the yeah, best games great of 2018 game. so be sure to go check that out on, who I've on heard, mobile who I've heard Paul still hasn't played yet no no no, no uh, like we spoke about it and I played it I think that, that night and I've, I've finally got around to it and I can totally see what the hype was all about yeah great um, game go play it if you haven't but yeah, so what, what's that like, kind of bouncing ideas off some of these people who've been there and done it? Like, it's not uni lecturers and those sort of things, though some of them have also been there yeah. and done it. These are people who are in the moment working on these sort of things that, you know, while you're busy, you know, start potentially stumbling or bumbling around with some of your ideas, they're working on their own things, next, uh, like in the room next door, potentially. Like, what's, what's that sort of like? Yeah, so um, I remember at the start of our project, we had the god-awful, terrible idea of having a huge sprawling cave network where you would get lost and you had to talk to your operator to get the map and the map was drawn terribly because it was in 8-bit. And oh, so it, you didn't do it in paint, that's right. No. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was, it was awful. It was the worst level design I've ever seen. Um, and thankfully we got talking to, uh, I think it was Laura and Joe from Harmonious, and we said, hey, play our game. And they were like, this game is terrible. <laughs> Fix it immediately. Get rid of this whole cave system. Make it streamlined, uh, and then we ended up just having a valley with two paths, one of which is a dead end. So um, that was great. It makes them all linear and a bit easier to access. Yeah, exactly. So like without their help, we would have just had a horrible experience that no one wanted. And instead of spending months on that concept, we spent like a week or two before we scrapped it. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Um, are there any others that you've worked with particularly closely that have been able to give you some valuable nuggets of knowledge or whatever that you? Uh, yeah, um, or, that, or even that you're potentially hoping to work with that are based in here as well. Yeah, so Ken Wong played our game uh, maybe like a month or two from from PAX, uh, and he gave some great feedback. Uh, he was really getting into the role, and he was like, why is this in the world? Why is that in the world? Um, and we ended up changing some of our in-game signage uh, based on that. So, for example, at the start, there's a generator that um, basically said, warning electricity or something and he goes why is this in the world how does it help me as a player um, and we ended up making it a bit more fleshed out and saying hey you need to press this button 
to activate the power sort of thing. Yeah, okay. That um, makes sense. And then he just helped make our, our world a bit more cohesive and player-centric. Quality of life stuff. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of cool. Um, so yeah, it really helps to have developers tell you why your game is bad. <laughs> I mean, that, um, that peer feedback is what you're looking for in a lot of these different sorts yeah, of scenarios, exactly. whether it's games development or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's always better to have a fellow developer tell you why your game is bad rather than your players tell you why your game is bad. Yeah, but at the same time, you're collecting feedback from players because you were at PAX recently and you, yep. had, you had myself and plenty of others come through. Like You guys were having to take bookings from, what, halfway through the first day? Yeah, exactly. It was, um, it was insane how much... Um, how much they weren't attention short we got. sessions either so yeah like as I said before we were aiming to build a good experience rather than a good PAX experience yeah because um, obviously a good PAX experience is great but when you go into the industry you need a good experience yeah. that lasts longer than five minutes um, so we ended up with a 20 to 30 minute demo basic uh, depending on how okay. how fast you played um, and yeah by the middle of Friday we had people coming back several times missing out so we set up a booking system for Saturday and Sunday that both got filled by lunchtime. So that was great. And thankfully you held a spot over for me, which I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, what sort of feedback were you getting from people who played it? And is, is there been much that you were able to enact on? I know you're talking about, you know, you're not exactly sure where the project's going to head from here, but was there much that you could immediately take with you and go, all right, we need to change this and this and this, mm-hmm. and this is good, let's leave this and protect this uh, that sort of feedback? I don't think there's any particular feedback because um, obviously most people at PAX just want to come play a game and then leave. Yeah, um, but we were surprised at how overwhelmingly positive people um, like thought of it. A lot of people said, hey, I would, I would love to buy this on Steam if it was on Steam. When can I get it sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it kind of sucked having to say, hey, look, we're not sure we yet. We don't know if it will yet. Yeah. <laughs> Take our business card and we'll maybe sort of eventually Do something. say something. But yeah, nothing particularly concrete from, from at the same time. It's nice and validating that you fit, you know, the the work and the the ideas and probably some long hours and those sorts of things over the journey were yeah exactly were spent wisely. Mm. Uh, I think more valuable, um, which again was through Swinburne, was we had several playtests at the arcade with um, all the developers. Yeah, uh, we booked one of the boardrooms. Basically, had almost everyone from the arcade come down and play our games. Uh, same thing with the music composers. We had all them come and play our games. Uh, and I think we had a couple of Swinburne open days as well for prospective students where we showed it off. Um, and plenty of good feedback out of those again as well. Yeah. Because um, through the course they teach you like what questions to ask, uh, how to make a Google survey type thing yeah, okay. uh, to actually collect proper data. Um, and we also had... Lost my train of thought. That's right. Um, um, we, no, that's right. Yeah. We can come back to it. Uh, one that I before we before we start winding things down. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we'd spoken about games development and those sort of things before you actually got into it. How now that you're actually involved in it, how different is it to what you imagined it would be? Um, is, is there much difference at all? Or you kind of you could see the. I mean, we know that there's hours attached to that, that yeah. conversation gets brought up all the time. Hundred hours of Rockstar, blah 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 blah. Um, but yeah, but what's What's it like now that you're into it and how does that compare to what you thought it might have been beforehand? Um, so beforehand I thought it was kind of just, oh yeah, just make something and then it'll be easy. Um, but there was a, definitely a lot more dev time about ironing out kinks and, and more process work. Because um, I, I used to just jump in and start making something. 
Um, but a couple of times I, I made something and then I realized, hey, this doesn't work the way I want it to and had to scrap the whole thing and redo it. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely a lot more design work that has to go into it. Yeah, I thought, um, I thought that might be the, the sort of thing you were going to say, like design docs and those sort of things. Yeah. The, yeah, the, the goal is to get there and make a game, not necessarily plan it out. So, yeah. Um, um, like as I was saying before the terrible cave network that we made yeah. if we had have just actually sat down and discussed and designed that beforehand we would have realised it's terrible before actually going to Unity and setting it up and building yeah. building the thing and losing time to actually producing the thing instead yeah exactly um, alright so as we start to and I assume that the idea from before hasn't I, I did just yeah, remember um, we were actually lucky enough to show off the Voyager project at Bar SK in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, so they show off like indie work and stuff, and that was really good. Uh, we also showed off at GCAP just for PAX. Yes. Um, so that's kind of like PAX, but for developers. Um, and yeah, both of those yeah, you just were. Don't have that same public presence, which is which is yeah, good. Exactly. Um, so still, yeah, you both still get a few media types wandering around, but yeah, we had a couple of um, people from different big corporations play it, and that was really good. Um, so yeah, just all of those playtests that we got through Swinburne and through the connections and networks we made at the arcade was fantastic. Awesome. All right, so let's let's start to wind things down. What are some of the more, and obviously it's still been a short journey so far, but what have been yep. some of the more valuable experiences or lessons that you've kind of picked up over the journey? Um, yeah, as I said, definitely design first before you make stuff. Because um, yeah, I just like making things, but in, in future I'll definitely sit down and design stuff before I make it. Um, also, like making sure things are fun as a game first, because if it's not fun, then what's the point? Yeah. Because um, I've definitely had a couple of ideas. Like recently, I went back and played the board game I made in the first year of uni, um, and I was just, why are there so many rules? Why is this confusing? Oh, what is this? Yeah. Stuff. Um, so definitely cut back rather than add stuff. You have to really think, what is this feature adding to the experience? Is it positive? Is it actually fun and does it help build the experience? If it doesn't, then cut it. If you have to use it in a different project, then use it in a different project. But if it's not working with the major experience that you're trying to build, then just cut it. It's not worth it. Any particular treasured memories from the journey so far? Any particular highlights, I guess? Um, a couple of the, the big people that spoke to us at GCAP and PAX was great. Um, being featured in PC Powerplay was great. Um, and yeah, just having the opportunity to work with the people in the arcade was fantastic. And a bit more coverage that you would have gotten from PAX and those sorts of things as well. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. So what do you see the future holding for you specifically now in this whole games development sort of journey, I guess? Yeah, so I've still got a couple more years of uni left um, and I work a lot so I don't have much free time to work on my own games at the moment. Um, but a lot of people from Swinburne, they follow on their final year project into an indie studio and making their yeah. own stuff. Um, so I could see that happening to me when I do it for the second time. Um, because through the double degree, you have to do one design and one code. Yeah, okay. Um, so yeah, when I come back and do Capstone again in three years' time, I, I hope that that can lead me somewhere. Um, I've also, as I said before, got a couple of ideas cooking. I could make, work on those. Um, but yeah, like I... All I want to do with my life is be a programmer and bank software is a bit boring. So just whatever yeah, I can, happens, I happens. That, yeah. yeah, I don't really care if I work for a big studio or an indie or myself, just as long as I get to program and 
not have a bank software app or a website <laughs> or something to show for it, then that's, that's great. I can understand it. And actually, a curiosity thing, because this is something that you and I have been discussing on the side prior, well before the, well, in the months before this interview. Yep. We spoke about before, you and I used to sling a bunch of comments back and forth about PC versus console yep. and console versus PC, and you've just recently joined, seen the light and you've, sure. you've, picked, you've picked up a, a PlayStation and you're getting to experience a whole range of other games that, you, that well, in some cases you couldn't kind yeah. of experience before you. Spider-Man's your last, so those sort of things are exclusive throughout yeah. the journey. Has that done anything to kind of influence your, maybe some perspective on the, the industry as a whole now that you've tried out some of those sort of things? Um, not really. Just as, as a consumer, I absolutely hate um, console exclusives, but I, I see why they're there. Um, but yeah, I'm just glad that I get to play Red Dead now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, look, good point. Yeah, knowing me, it's going to release on PC next year and I'll, I'll have spent $300 for... For The Last of Us. True. The Last of Us is God good. of War and Spider-Man. Yeah. And it's well and truly justified. Horizon, that's, the thing goes for days. I won't, yeah. I won't force my agenda any further on you, though. Yeah. I mean, if you do want to get a console, then wait for sales. I mean, I got um, a PS4 and Spider-Man for 300 bucks. so... Yeah, it was a good deal. Yeah, that was a good deal. And then you were picking up sales everywhere else for all the games as well. Yeah. Um, so if people want to learn a little bit more about the game or what you're doing, where, where can people kind of go to do a little bit of digging? Uh, I think the URL is voyagergame.net. Um, do you want me to double check? Yeah, on the card let's, let's double check it. Um, it is voyagergame.net, yes. Yep. Um, we've also got Twitter at voyagergame, I think. I'll, le- I'll leave yeah. the card in front of you so you can read your own <laughs> it, spiel. It's been a while. Uh, yeah, Facebook Voyager Project Game and Twitter Voyager Game. Uh, those are our main source of information. And we'll let you know if we. End up doing yeah, you've got trailers and bits and pieces out there, so there's plenty to go and check out. Yeah, and then yeah, follow the game because I mean, this is now totally me just putting my own hat on. I, it was a game that like I really, as someone who's not really a PC guy, and asymmetric um, gameplay like that is certainly it's a hard one to kind of coordinate, especially if you end up in a scenario like I did there where it was with someone who I didn't know. Yeah, um, could have been the best or worst player in the world. He could be looking at me thinking the same sorts of things about me. Probably the worst because I didn't stumble yeah. and bumble my way through that a fair bit. Yeah, like but, um, we, we ideally wanted you to play with someone you knew, but if you didn't, we built the systems in a way that it's just you have to communicate the information. Yeah, and, and not, you don't, not screen, uh, screen hack like I was. Yeah, lucky for Paul, you didn't need much skill to complete our game. So. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> um, but at the same time, like it's a, it's a really interesting sort of experience and one that if you ever, but whether you guys bring it to a, you know, PAX next year in a new form or whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, it's one that's well worth looking into, so I highly recommend you do so. Cheers. Andrew, it's been great to have you on the show and get no your story. And it's it's only early days, so maybe I'll have to reach out to you in a few years and talk about where things are at now. But uh, thanks very much for your time, man. Yeah, cheers. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you would like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until our next episode, however, that's been Andrew's story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.